0: This episode of Get Booked is brought to you by Libro.fm. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the one. But you'll be part of a very different story, one that supports your local community. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM. App. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks best, local booksellers. This month, Libro FM is launching their Kids Club and their YA Club, which will offer select audiobooks priced under $10 each month, as well as their Summer Listening Challenge. Each person to finish will get free audiobook credit and the chance to win free audiobooks for a year if you complete it listeners of Get Booked will get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code BR3, and get three months of audiobooks for the price of one. This is the get booked podcast a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations this is episode 187 and we're recording on june what is it june 25th it's right in front of me i'm amanda nelson and i'm here with jen northington and we are coming to you from book riot
1: hello it is 94 percent humidity here this morning i would just like to say
0: i got an email yesterday from my kid's school about back to school night i know i know i rioted it's only june they started summer camp yesterday how (laughs) dare about back to school night and i was like could you not the nerve (laughs) i have barely busted out my shorts for the season i'm so mad (laughs) mad about it i mean you know i understand like save the date i don't want to save the date i don't want to it's june sit down Anyway, these are my feelings. (laughs) (laughs) So how the show works. Uh, Before we get into that, I will mention really quickly that next week is the 4th of July. Thursday is the 4th of July. So there will not be an episode of Get Booked next week because we will be, I don't know, I'll be in a pool. I don't know what Jen's doing.
1: I I hopefully will be in a pool. That's my goal.
0: Excellent. We will not be podcasting. We will be floating. So (laughs) we will see you back again the week after that. Okay, so how the show works. This is a show for personalized reading recommendations, as I mentioned. So if you need a reading rec for yourself or your book club or a gift for someone or whatever, you can send any and all of those to us at getbookedatbookriot.com. You can also drop your question in the uh, form at the bottom of the show notes on the site. If your question is time sensitive... Please note that in the subject line of the email or put it in big bold letters in the first line of your request if you're using the form so that we can get to it on time. We might email you back instead of answering the show or answering your question on the show if we have already answered a similar question or if it's time sensitive and we're not going to get to it in time. So that's why we ask for your email. Okay, let's see. We do have a bit of feedback from Miranda, uh, who is uh, giving recommendations for the person from last week who uh, loved H's for Hawk and was looking for books that scratched the same itch. She recommends, I'm quoting, Lab Girl, oh my goodness, Lab Girl, which <laughs> I agree with that. A scientist view on nature, but also really raw and real. I listened on audio and it had me crying in the middle of the gym. That's so real. It's so good. Um, American Fire, True Crime, not a memoir, but a compelling story, and I could not put it down. I would also put Bad Blood in this category. And one more. This is a local favorite of mine. Welcome to the Goddamn Ice Cube, another really raw memoir that centers nature and has the overlapping thread structure that Ages for Hawk also has. Okay. Uh, what are we doing? I'm gonna read our first question, and then Jen will tell us about our first sponsor. Okay. Uh, question one is from Emily, who says, in a few weeks, I'm getting married. Wahoo. And then honeymooning in Mexico. I'm looking for some good recommendations to read while at the beach. I'm a therapist and work mostly with adolescents, so I'm always looking for novels with adolescent protagonists to better understand my clients. I would love to hear your recommendations for YA fiction, bonus points for book series, and having a romance subplot. Some YA books I've liked in the past are Little Fires Everywhere. That's not why. You may mean something. The Hunger Games series and the Selection series. I've already read To All the Boys I've Loved Before and don't love the writing style but love the movie. Please no John Green. (laughs) Don't worry.
1: Have you met us? (laughs) Welcome to get booked.
0: Welcome to get booked. No John Green. (laughs) No John Green. All right. So before we answer that question, Jen is going to tell us about our first sponsor.
1: Well, which is... Funnily enough, a YA book. Hey, that sounds awesome. It's Wicked Fox by Cat Cho, published by Penguin Teen. And this is about an 18 year old named Gu young who has a secret. She is a Gumiho, a nine tailed fox who has to devour the energy of men in order to survive. I mean, that's same. In, that's, in, <laughs> that's intense. She crosses paths with Ji a human boy being attacked by a goblin deep in the forest outside of Seoul. And against her better judgment, she rescues him and loses her gumiho soul in the process um, and Miyoung and jihun develop a tenuous friendship that blossoms into something more hey a little romance and then a shaman tries to reunite Miyoung with her soul and the consequences are disastrous and reignite a generations old feud i hate when that happens uh, which forces Miyoung to choose between her immortal life and Jihoon's. so This is a fantasy romance, as you might have guessed. It's set in modern day soul. So it's a modern day mythology thing, which I always love. And yeah, you got a little romance, got a little action, got a generation's old feud. Like, what's not to love? Uh, So that again is Wicked Fox by Cat Cho. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show.
0: I just got a galley of that and I stuck it on my, this actually sounds interesting shelf.
1: Yeah, it's on my uh, digital galley shelf, for sure.
0: All right. Well, I will keep going. So we're looking for YA for a therapist going on her honeymoon. I like it. I picked Renegades by Marissa Meyer, and it's the first in a series. So I really like this. It's super, super fun. There is a romance that isn't fully fleshed out in book one, but does exist. So you can get into it through the rest of the book. Um, And this is a near future science fiction series, YA series, (coughs) excuse me. Uh, with a half Filipino protagonist, hey, um, where in superheroes ho- super have, uh, you know, exist. Like the world is kind of crumbled, society is on its last legs, and the renegades, which is a group of prodigies, humans with these really supernatural abilities, kind of emerge, you know, from the rubble of society to rebuild it, and they're all very like golden boys and girls, and the Incredibles, and, you know, noble, and whatever. Um, the champions of order and justice bringing you hope from chaos all that kind of stuff except they're awful they're like (laughs) secretly awful maybe not so secretly this is like you know the theme of pretty much every slightly edgy you know take on the Watchmen that's ever existed but i love it it's my favorite superhero trope about how superheroes are actually the worst so nova (laughs) is the main character of this book and she is not into the renegades she also is super powered and she is a member of like the kind of group of Villains, arch-villains that the Renegades have fought. They have a history of war. Um, she has a personal grudge against them because her, she's an orphan and her parents died. Um, and the Renegades didn't do anything to protect them. So she has this like very personal grudge against them. And when the book opens, she is plotting to assassinate the leader of the Renegades. Um, the assassination doesn't go well and she instead decides to go undercover as a Renegade in training. And so she like infiltrates their whatever headquarters and like starts learning about them. And you know, as you do, she comes to realize that they are a bit more complicated and complex than her black and white worldview would have her believe. And while she's in the process of discovering that, she gets very interested in a boy named Adrian who is, uh, super powered. He has a really cool power where he can draw anything like on his skin and then make it an object, which is like the weirdest superpower. I think hmm. I um he is also the son of the two heads of the renegade uh which is a gay couple and i love that so much so it's like uh, yeah it's just it's got i think it's a great beach read because it's got enough ethical questions to keep your brain going but it's also just a super fast-paced adventure with a little bit of romance thrown uh and nova i really like her as a main character because she's not like she's not a princess she's not naive she's a very bitter and angry character who is. Who goes on a really obvious and and interesting personal growth curve throughout the book. Um, So that is Renegades, book one. And I will say that the first one ends on a really obnoxious cliffhanger. So just go with both. Like, have both with you because you're going to want to immediately read the second
1: one. All right. So I picked For a Muse of Fire by Heidi Heilig. Which is the first in her Forumuse of Fire series. And the second one comes out in October. So it's not out yet, but will be soon, which is good because this one also kind of ends on a cliffhanger. You're like, ooh. Um, and this is so I really loved this. It is a sort of fantasy pseudo-historical, although not that historical. Like there are guns and some basic technology, but it's about a family who are shadow players, meaning they do those shadow puppets, right? Super cool. And what their secret is, is that they actually have, Jetta in particular, the daughter of this family, has some magic where she can animate the puppets using like a little bit of her blood. Um, and, you know, finding a little soul that's floating around like the soul of a leaf or like the soul of a kitten. Um, and she's not killing anything. These are just like, Freely available souls floating around, and she can tie them to the puppet, and then the puppets move and do things and so they have attained a lot of fame as being really talented, and some of that is because Jeddah has been like very judiciously using this magic, but it's forbidden it's not allowed. And their country is uh, has been colonized and there's a revolution going on and things are very unrestful. And her and her family are just trying to get by. Like they really are just trying to get by. And in fact, they're trying to save up enough money so that they can leave because things are in such turmoil and it's just so dangerous. Uh, And Jetta also suffers from I believe it's bipolar disorder. She is like neurodiverse um, and struggles with, you know, feeling manic and then depressed and these kinds of things. And so they really want to get her out of the country to try to seek treatment and to just have better lives. So they're trying to earn a bunch of money to do this. And in the course of like trying to position themselves to perform for this general, she gets found out. And they have to go underground, like literally, in some cases, they're like in these tunnels under, you know, old temples and things. And there's a smuggler guy and, you know, he gets involved. And is he to be trusted? Is he not to be trusted? There's a little bit of romantic tension there as well. And it's a really like high stakes, intense, very, I, I was thinking about like the feeling of The Hunger Games, you know, where you're just like, oh my gosh, does anybody ever get a break? Like the answer is no. Like that is kind of how this feels like, oh, you just can't catch a break. Um, It's just nonstop, you know, peril after peril. And I really loved it. I was really sucked in. It's fascinating world building. Um, She has said it's inspired by Asian cultures and French colonialism specifically. And I think you can see those influence if you know some about um, the french colonization of parts of asia and but it's really it's really interesting to have this character jetta um and and she's so complex and so interesting and so talented and it just you're just like oh how are they going to how are they going to get through this? How are they going to get out of this? How are they going to find their best life? And at the end of this first book, yeah, it's, there's not anything super conclusive, but things have become much more complicated than I ever thought, given that it was already pretty complicated. <laughs> so I think it's a page turner. I think it'll absorb you. And I think you'll be really interested to see the way that Heilig portrays uh, this, this adolescent character on the page. So again, that's For a Muse of Fire by Heidi Heilig. And our next question is from Charlie, who says, My husband's birthday is in August, and I'd love to get him a book this year. He's not as big a reader as I am, but he enjoys it when the right book grabs him. Ready Player One and The Martian were two books that immediately struck me when I read them as being tailor made for him, and he loved them both. I tried 112263. It took him over a year to get through because it just didn't have that same got to read it now energy, although he did enjoy it. Um, I haven't gifted him a book in a few years. My own reading has slowed down quite a bit. So my chances of stumbling across his next Ready Player One or Martian are slimmer than ever, and I'm hoping you can help me. In addition to the ones I mentioned, some of his favorite books are Lord of the Rings, the Aragon series, The Ender's Game and Ender's Shadow series, White Fang, and Call of the Wild. What you got, Amanda?
0: Okay, I picked Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers. And I picked this one because I think that Ready Player One and The Martian... The things that they have in common, or the the thematic feeling that they have in common, I think, is that the stakes are pretty high, but the humor of the books make them feel like the stakes are not very low. Like, you you don't have to invest a lot emotionally in these because the characters are so funny and witty that it carries you through. Um But in reality, like, the world is ending, or, like, society is crumbling, or, like, this astronaut is stranded and might die. So, like, the stakes are pretty high, but you don't necessarily have to feel like they are. And I think that Long Way to a Small Angry Planet is like that. High stakes plus space. Um, so the main character Ish, it's like a kind of like motley crew in space, the main character Ish, his name is Rosemary, she has a past that she's trying to escape, so she joins the crew of this spaceship called the Wayfarer, and the crew's job is to tunnel wormholes through space to create, essentially, like, highways that people can travel to get from place to place in the universe. And the ship is, like, super old and very patched up, it's obviously seen better days, and so has, frankly, most of the crew. Um, they're all... Thrown together in this um, spaceship, each person has their own reasons for being there and for wanting to, you know, live life on a ship in the middle of nowhere, doing a kind of intense and potentially really dangerous job far away from their home. And not every character in the book, most of them actually, especially on the ship is a human so there's a lot of really interesting interactions with the other people on board who have like different body parts and like personal I don't like sleep cycles and there is a bit of prejudice that comes into play also and so she gets on this ship and she's just trying to like get away from her past and survive and get to know everybody and all this kind of thing um and then they get a job making this one particular wormhole to a really 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 distant planet it's small it's angry hence the title um and she realizes and the whole crew realizes in the course of pursuing that assignment, that something is wrong. Like there's some big conspiracy happening here, hence the big high stakes. but everybody is so like the, the book is about space, right. And it's about this crew and their adventure and solving this kind of mystery that's surrounding the job they've been sent to do, but it's really about their interpersonal relationships. And I think that's very true of ready player one, especially like, you know, that's a book about a video game, but it's really about the kid and his relationships with his friends. Um, the Martian is not about relationships because he's by himself on a planet. But his relationship <laughs> with himself a little bit. Um, but it's in the same way that those two books are, like, really funny. Every character on this book, in, this, in the Becky Chambers book, is, like, they're, they're witty, they're smart, they're really quippy, the dialogue is great. And I think that that will really appeal to the same, like, push the same kind of buttons that RPO and The Martian pushed for readers. So that's The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers.
1: Yeah, I also went for, like, quippy, clever space Mm -hmm. books. Um, So I picked A Big Ship at the Edge of the Universe, which is the first in the Salvagers series by Alex White. And this was one of the most fun books I read. I think I read it last year. I was just like, oh, boy, that was fun. Like, it was just... (laughs) It's just so much fun. Uh, And the second book is also out. It's called A Bad Deal for the Whole Galaxy, which is another great title. And there's so many things I loved about this book. The first is that in this future space situation, there is like car races, like NASCAR, but in space kind of. And one of the main characters, Nyla, is a top driver in uh, this space race situation. Different kind of space race. Um, and, and, And it's so cool because there's magic in here too. So it's kind of science fantasy. So she is such a good driver because she has this very specific kind of like engineering magic and like can, you know, fuse with her car's engine and make things perfect and go control the car with magic in really interesting ways. So that's really awesome. And most of the people in this book, like, It's known that pretty much everybody has a little bit of some kind of magic, whether it's like engineering magic or fire magic or whatever. Most people have a little something. Very rare to not have it. And one of the other, there are a lot of characters in this. It is a very multicast sort of story. But one of the other characters is, is nicknamed Boots Ellsworth, and she is a con artist. She makes fake treasure hunts. Once upon a time, she did find like a real treasure. And ever since then, she's kind of washed up. But how she makes a living is making fake treasure maps for the Gullible and one of the maps that she has made is supposed to lead to a famous warship called the Harrow that was lost many, many years ago. And she sold this like, you know, fake map to it to somebody. And now people are hunting her because perhaps she in her fakery got a little bit too close to the truth. And the two of them, their paths intersect and everything goes to hell in a handbasket. And it is So much fun. It's just so much fun. There's like a scrappy crew. There's a lot of interpersonal snarking and, you know, being mad at each other and not connecting and then getting thrown together into peril. And then, okay, maybe I don't hate you as much as I hate these people who are trying to kill us kind of situation. Like, it's really, really, really fun. And... And I was so distracted by that sort of interpersonal relationship stuff and the fun that when it became clear what the stakes were, I was like, whoa, like it was a really big reveal for me. And so I think that it it has a good pace. It has interesting characters. It has a lot of the same feel exactly as The Martian or Ready Player One. So I think this is a good one. Uh, so again, that's A Big Ship at the Edge of the Universe by Alex White.
0: Alright, question three is from Erica who says, My family is taking an epic Western road trip for two and a half weeks in July, driving from Ohio to Montana and Wyoming to visit Glacier and Yellowstone National Parks, as well as some smaller parks along the way. I would love a recommendation for an audiobook that we could listen to together to keep kids off personal technology for at least some of the trip. We haven't really listened to audiobooks as a family before and I'm running into some challenges. I'm easy, read everything and anything. My husband typically prefers nonfiction but could be flexible. My son is almost 13 and, like, science and history, both fiction and nonfiction, he does not enjoy fantasy. My daughter is nine and prefers fiction. She has a very active imagination and is easily scared by creepy things. For example, Harry Potter is too scary. Can you please find us something fun to listen to in the car that will get us all on the same page, so to speak? (laughs) <laughs> Good pun. As we spend many, I, I missed that the first time I read it. Says we spend many hours together in the car. I'm not having success finding something that scratched everyone's particular itch, but is still engaging and fun. Okay. Um, I picked the, I'm just keep going. I picked the Y.S. Lee agency series. The first book is called spy in the house. I'm totally throwing your husband under the bus here. Cause he was the only one that I couldn't fit in, <laughs> um, but he said he could be flexible. So we're just going with that. Um, the agency series is a wonderful middle grade mystery series that I think is great for all ages. I've read them as an adult, the whole series. And like, I'm obsessed with them and love them so much. Um, They take place in the 1850s, so I think that your son, who's in history, will like them because it's Victorian, um, and they're not too scary. It's about a girl named Mary, who when she is, I think she's 17 when the first book opened. No, 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 she's 12. She's 12 when the first book opened. She's a young orphan. She's also a pickpocket, and she's been arrested, and when the first book opened, she's in court about to be sentenced to be hanged, because that's what they did to, you know, pickpockets back then, Um, but she gets rescued by a teacher who wants her to come who uh, wants her to come to her school and like she'll teach her manners and how to read and how to write and all that kind of stuff and give her a job in like a flower shop or something like that it actually turns out that miss Grimshaw's academy for girls is a cover for an all-female uh, investigative agency called um, originally the agency <laughs> so she goes to this school and you know grows up learning how to use her skills as a pickpocket um for this organization that has rescued her um from jail and ultimately from being executed so and i'm saying like executed and you know being hanged and all that it's not it's not scary like it's not none of that happens on the page it's hinted at it's you know you know that she's in a lot of danger when the book opens but i still think it would be fine for a nine-year-old even a really sensitive reader um and so she gets her first assignment in book one. Um, she goes undercover as a lady's companion in a really wealthy merchant's home. And her job is to find his missing cargo ships because that's the merchant's job. He's uh, in shipping and some of his cargo ships have gone missing. But they're going missing in like a really interesting pattern. Uh, and so she has to figure out what's going on. But the house is full of you know, like, people are lying to each other, there's various mysteries she has to solve just to figure out who she can trust, if anybody. There's a very, very slight romance that develops between her and a um, a man that she meets, but it's, like, nothing inappropriate. I don't think they even touch. Um, and so, it's just great. There's lots of banter and action, and it's, there, I think, are four books in the series. So, a really long road trip, you could probably get through all of them. But I think there's plenty here to keep everyone, including a fully grown man, I promise, <laughs> like engaged and into what's happening. So that's A Spy in the House by Y.S. Lee.
1: I picked a series that actually one of our questioners referenced a couple shows ago. I picked The Mysterious Benedict Society by Trenton Lee Stewart, because I really do think there's something here for everybody. Because it is, it's not a fantasy. It's, they're sort of, Puzzles. Uh, It is about a group of four children who see an ad for uh, gifted children looking for special opportunities. Very cryptic, very surprising. And they go to this like big old house and have to pass a test, uh, a very strange kind of test. And only four of them succeed, two boys and two girls. And they have been recruited basically to be like secret operatives by the person running this little organization. And they each have different talents. So one of them has an eidetic memory, you know, can look at something and memorize it immediately. And then another one who I loved is like very gymnastically and physically talented. And she has a special bucket full of like little ropes and like little, you know, things that help her do these amazing feats of whatever. She's always prepared. Um, And so they each, they do each have this different skill. None of it magical, just sort of you know, extraordinary skills. Uh, and, and so, and they don't all get along necessarily, but they have to work together. And it's very puzzly. Like you're trying to figure out, like they're trying to figure out these sort of almost puzzles to advance the plot. And I feel like that will appeal to your... Husband and son who both like science and, you know, nonfiction, like there's a lot of, you know, trivia sort of, or like using your brain to figure out what the trick of this room that the doors you only open in a specific pattern, like that kind of thing. And I don't remember it being too scary like there's no horror elements no paranormal elements so it should be good for your daughter and i really love them i i thought they were so much fun when i read them back in the day they are meant for middle grade so you know younger like tween not teen and there are four of them in the series. And the audiobooks look like they're about 13-ish hours each. So that's lots of listening time for you if they like them. But yeah, they're, I found them super engrossing. and was like, oh, how are they going to figure Can I figure out this puzzle? Like, am I as smart as these characters? Sometimes no. Uh, but it was very engaging. And I think this might work really well. So again, that's The Mysterious Benedict Society by Trenton Lee Stewart. Our next question is from Heather who says, I have two kids, an eight-year-old boy and a ten-year-old girl. When they were little, I used to read to them every night before bed, but as they got older, we stopped and I miss it. Recently, I convinced them to start reading together again, and for our first book, I picked Refugee by Alan Grants, which has been good, but intense and sad. Could you give us some suggestions for our next book? We'd like something more lighthearted and fun. They've both read the Harry Potter books through book five, and my son has read all the Land of Stories books. My daughter suggested Echo by pam muñoz ryan or mr limoncello's library by chris grabenstein but she's already read both of those and i'd like to read something new to all of us what do you got
0: okay i pick dragon pearl by yoon ha lee i just realized that this is like the middle grade episode which is mm-hmm. unintentional. It's fine um i okay so this is so much fun this is a science fiction and fantasy fantasy in space isn't that technically a space opera fantasy No, space- uh,
1: not necessarily. Space opera doesn't have to have magic.
0: Okay, great. Thank you. So, um, this is a middle grade novel about a girl named Min who lives on a planet, uh, what's the planet's called? It's called Jinju, and it's a super poor planet. In this universe, planets need to be um like terraformed, and it's usually done by dragons who have the ability to terraform planets. Takes a couple of years, but Jinju was neglected. It was, like, forgotten by the, you know, overarching government of this universe, and so everybody who lives there is just kind of impoverished, like, they're all just scraping by. And her older brother, Jun, has left Jinju and joined the Space Forces in order to, like, go off and see more of the world, but also to, you know, send money home and to do what he can to to better the existence on this planet for his family. The catch is that Min and all of her relatives are not humans. They're actually magical foxes. So they have the ability to shapeshift or, uh, like, they can appear as any person or object. Then they have the ability to sense other foxes in and around them. Um, and there's a lot of prejudice against magical foxes in this universe, so they have to completely hide 100% of the time. They're not allowed to use their powers, they're not allowed to do anything that would give any hints as to who they actually are. Um, but... One day, a, uh, an investigator comes to their house and says that June, her older brother, is suspected of abandoning his battle cruiser and, you know, deserting the, what well, I guess is essentially the army, in order to go searching for the dragon pearl, which is this, like, kind of magical artifact that can terraform planet really quickly. And it's believed that he did this thing because he has such a known desire to help his, his family and his planet, but his his family knows that, like, he would never have done that. He never would have left his post. Even if it was rumored that this big, fancy, magical thing was nearby, he would never have done that. So Min decides to run away and uh, go find her brother and, like, figure out what's going on. So she goes on this big, grand adventure. Uh, There's, like, pirates that she meets. There's ghosts. There's a lot of magical elements combined with the science fiction of, like, being in space and joining, like, a space force and there are dragons. I just love everything about it. I think it would be super fun to read out loud. It's also written in, like, a her narrative voice is very simple. So I think that reading it out loud, you could actually get through it pretty quickly, even though it's, you know, it's over 300 pages. Um, but her voice is really interesting and there's lots of voices you can do. So I think there'd be a good read aloud selection. So that's Dragon Pearl by Yoon Ha Lee.
1: I picked, I'm just realizing, I don't think it's too old for them, but I wonder. Okay, so I picked City of the Beasts by Isabel Allende. Did you know that Isabel Allende wrote YA fiction? Because she did. Uh, and it's translated by Margaret Sayers Peden. And it's part of a series. It's the first in the mem- Memories of the Eagle and the Jaguar series. And it is about a 15-year-old named Alexander who gets to join his like amazing fearless grandmother on a big expedition trip. Uh, She works for International Geographic, haha, and they are headed to the remote wilds of South America on a mission to try to find a Yeti, uh, the Yeti of the Amazon, known as the Beast. So not like the Snow Yeti, like the Amazon's version of the Yeti. And Alex makes a new friend named Nadia on this trip. And there are, of course, many secrets and things go awry. And there's all kinds of interesting lore and mythology that come into play. And I picked this because of that. I thought it might be, it seems like, your daughter like she likes Pam Munoz Ryan um, and they both like fantasy and I was like well okay so let me give you something a little more like Hispanic uh, in tone but it still has that mythology feel to it and it is I just remember it being so much fun it has been a little while since I read it and what I remember most are there's like tromping through the jungle and then oh no like we got to fix the thing and do the adventure stuff. I don't remember there being any content that would not be safe for an 8- and a 10-year-old. But, like, you might want to give it a quick read first. I apologize. Uh, But, yeah, it's really... It's really, really fun, and it's just cool and different, I, and not that many people know about this series, which is hilarious because Isabel Allende is famous, but I don't think that many people knew she wrote for kids as well. So again, that's City of the Beasts by Isabel Allende, translated by Margaret Sayers-Pedon.
0: Is it me? Yes. Well, it's me, but for sponsor. Sponsor me. Okay, we're going to talk about our next sponsor. It's Sourcebook. The title is Kingdom of Exiles. Uh, this is Maxim M. Martinau's debut. So this is about an exiled charmer named Lena, who is running out of time. Our empty pockets forced her to sell her beloved magical beast, which is an offense punishable by death. And now there's a price on her head. With the realm's most talented murderer for hire nipping at her heels, Lena makes him an offer he can't refuse, a power, powerful mythical creature in exchange for her life. Plagued by a curse that kills everyone he loves, Nock, the person she's making an offer, which he cannot refuse to, agrees to her terms in hopes of finding a cure for this curse. Never mind that the dark magic binding the assassin's oath will eventually force him to choose between her survival and his own so fantasy fantasy um this has gotten praise from uh cl wilson which is pretty kind of a big deal and darnida jones who said it was a you just know, called the author a powerful new voice in fantasy romance and a bona fide genius look at that um it's also been described as fantastic beats beasts and where to find them meets assassin's creed
1: so i think <laughs> the strangest that, combination that, of things i know
0: but like i'm into yeah it. I'm, I'm curious because if Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them was like 50% more about assassins, I would be <laughs> more, much more interested in it than I ever was. I'd never read it or saw it, but like if there were assassins, I might have. So go check that out. That is Kingdom of Exiles by Maxim M. Martineau. All right. Um, what are we on? Question five from Michelle. Over the last year, I've slowly succeeded in turning my husband into a reader. Now he wants to read books together. Last month, we read Where the Crawdads Sing. It was his pick. It was a great experience. Now we're stuck trying to find a second book. He suggested educated or a serial killer's daughter, but I'm in my last semester of law school and already spent all day reading about tragedy and humans being horrible. I just can't handle the tough stuff at the moment. I've tried to suggest a Bill Bryson book or some food micro histories, but he has turned them all down. His taste in books seems to be evolving rapidly and I'm out of ideas i'll read anything that isn't particularly emotionally taxing crawled ads in the uh the gray area thanks for any help you can provide in the last year he's read stephen king michael Crichton, the martian ready player one the <laughs> yeah, husbands and the martian and ready player one what's that about uh world war z game of thrones series and a david attenborough memoir okay I'll keep going. I had a hard time with this one. I had a hard time with this one. I couldn't come up with anything. So I took it to the contributors and our contributor Cassie recommended the library book by Susan Orlean, which I think is a great recommendation. It's nonfiction. You said he likes Bill Bryson and the David Attenborough memoir. Um, And it's got a bit of a true crime element because it is ostensibly about a arson committed in the LA Public Library in the 80s. But it's also just about libraries in general. I don't think you will find this emotionally taxing at all it is about a crime and i know you're in law school so maybe that will be like annoying but it's a crime that low stakes unless you consider thousands of books being burned high stakes which it is but you know no humans were harmed in the making of this arson so uh, (laughs) la public library burned down in 1986 um and it was like a huge fire it was you know seven hours by the time they got it out put out um 700,000 books had been damaged, 400,000 books were gone. Uh, and so S- Susan Orlean, who wrote, um, what's that book she's, uh, The Orchid Thief. Um, goes on like a quest to kind of figure out what happened in this fire and who started it and why. Like, why would you burn burn down a library? What could you possibly get from that? Um, And in the attempt, she tries to burn a copy of a library book herself. It's like ridiculous and funny. Um, And she also does a big, long kind of look at the history of libraries and librarians. She talks especially about Mary Foy, who was named the head of the L.A. Public Library when she was 18 in 1880. And, you know, that was back when like men still dominated the roles of librarians she talks about a lot of different really funny characters in the history of libraries and all the while weaving in this kind of true crime um mystery about the arson in the 80s so it's really interesting very low emotional stakes i think you'll both enjoy it so that's the library book by susan orlean
1: Yeah, this question was hard because it really seems like what your husband wants is emotional stakes and you do not want that. So it's tricky to find a book that both of you are going to be interested in. I picked Yes, Chef by Marcus Samuelson because this is a foodie book and you said he was a foodie and it also has emotional stakes, but they're not like the people being horrible to each other. Well, they're not like people being violently horrible to each other kind of stakes they're much more situational i want to say so it, it, as you might know marcus samuelson a very popular chef he was adopted uh as ethiopian and was raised uh in sweden and grew up like cooking swedish food with his 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 grandmother uh and so and that was like his early understanding of food and he goes into it really beautifully and um and 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 he talks about like learning from his grandmother and cooking with his grandmother it's really lovely and then he discovers as he gets older that he really wants to connect to the food of Ethiopia and to understand more about his heritage in that sense. And so, you know, you get to see him doing that. And then he goes to, you know, learn to be a chef in Switzerland and France and, you know, starts his restaurant Aquavit. Uh, But there's this really intense situation with his... Restaurant Aquavit, where he literally, like his partner or boss, I can't, the financier, I guess, argued that when it was time for Samuelson to go start his own restaurant, he couldn't use his literal name because it was part of the reputation of Aquavit, which was owned by this guy, and so he literally had to buy his name back from another person, which is bananas. Like the legalese of that is just mind-boggling to me. And I thought you might find that interesting. (laughs) And also I thought your husband might find that interesting. And that's just a small part of this memoir. But threaded throughout it are these moments of like definite emotional stakes. And so I think that that might appeal to you both and and it's not going to be so emotionally taxing you know the end of law school sounds really intense and terrible so you know Mm -hmm. i feel like you'll be okay and it will also inspire you to want to eat and cook all of the things for sure amanda didn't you go to red rooster am i remembering right Mm -hmm, i did yeah when i was in harlem yeah Yeah. Yeah. so yes and it will make you want to go to red rooster in harlem so that again is yes chef by marcus samuelson and our next question is from Nicole, who says, I adore books where the language usage or the writing format is as important to the story as the story itself. Books I've loved are The Wake by Paul Kingsnorth, OP by Mark Dunn, and Pale Fire by Vladimir Nabokov. I'll read any genre or subject matter, but please don't recommend S by J.J. Abrams because that's already on my shortlist, TBR, or Finnegan's Wake because I don't know if I'll ever be ready to attempt it. Fair enough. I'm just going to keep talking. I picked A Girl is a Half-Formed Thing for you. This book comes with trigger warnings for sexual assault and suicide. It is not a cheerful book. However, it is written in the most interesting format, I guess is the right word, style, style that I have read in a good long time. It is not exactly stream of consciousness, but the sentences are not full sentences. They're more like thought fragments. And some of them go on for like a really long time. And then some of them are like four words. And so it's a book that you really have to feel your way into. It teaches you how to read it. As you go along, and I was looking at my copy as I was prepping for this show, and a little note fell out from the editor who sent it to me who said, "Like, "Read this somewhere safe with you know a glass of whiskey." And I was like, "Oh yes, that was the correct advice. <laughs> like you want to be somewhere safe and comfortable because it's really rough, and you might want to have a drink with you to like smooth things out a little bit, but it's intensely heady and really sucks you in and is so emotionally fraught. And fascinating and well done. Oh, it just gives me all of the feelings. Um, It's about a young woman growing up in Ireland. Her brother has uh, developed a brain tumor as a child. And she has some guilt around the situations under which this happened. And he is, you know, not able to be completely independent after this point. And her family is very guilt-focused. She's a very complicated relationship with her mother and, and some of her other relatives. And she's just really struggling to figure out the balance between being a person and then having all of these expectations and all of this guilt- Based on your family life and like, can you and she loves her brother, but there's so much baggage wrapped up in that relationship. So she goes away, she comes back, she's really struggling to find a way to be a person in the world who is also part of this family. And like, maybe it's not possible. And it, like I said, it gets really dark. It's really rough, and it's so good. So if you are emotionally prepared for that kind of experience, I think you will find the style of it to be just sort of amazing and really revelatory as to what a person can do with language. So again, that's A Girl is a Half-Formed Thing by Emer McBride.
0: Okay, uh, mine is not as intense. <laughs> <laughs> it's not.
1: <laughs> I did get really intense on
0: that one. <laughs> That's very, i mean, it's an intense book. You're—you're you're just right. Um, so I picked *A Void* by Georges Perec, very French, and this is a work of French experimental literature where the entire book is written all like 300 pages without the use of the letter e at all. And it's so mind boggling. Uh, it's about a man named Anton who disappears and he's like a chronic insomniac. And he, one day he goes missing. His Some of his friends start going through his flat, looking through his diary, trying to find any, you know, hint or information or idea about what could have happened to him or where he could have gone. So that's the setup. It's, it's like a mystery about the whereabouts or happenings of this one man. But in reality, it's about how do you write a book that's 300 pages long without using the letter E. Um, and it's so odd. And your brain, like you know going in, right? Most copies of this book that you're gonna find have a giant E with a line through it on the cover. So you know going in which what you're what you're in for. But it's your brain, you know, like it just it's, sometimes I say I would get like a little bit of a headache reading <laughs> it. Not because it's hard to read, but just because I'm like, this seems weird. Like something is weird that's happening on this page. You know exactly what it is, but it's still it's such a mind trip. And the way that he does it also the fact that it can be successfully translated mm. is just mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. I don't know that the, like, the plot or, you know, the mystery that you're actually reading about is anything super special or to smile about. It's just that they could do it without the letter E, which, as we all know, at least in English, is the, is the most used letter. I don't know if it is in French, but either way, bananas. And just such a such a thought experiment and a weird a weird reading experience. So that's Avoid by Georges Perec. Um, Gilbert Adair is the translator for most copies that I've seen, but I'm sure there are. It was published in the 60s, so there are probably multiple translations you could find. Okay. Last question is from Kay, who says, As a sexual assault survivor, I found some healing through fiction that focuses on survivors and how they rebuild their lives. Some examples of ones that have helped me include Luckiest Girl Alive, Speak, An Untamed State, Big Little Lies, The Fact of a Body, and Any Man. I am specifically looking for fiction at this point. It's a really thin line to walk, but books like All Is Not Forgotten and Lucky by Alice Siebold were so triggering, I wasn't able to get very far. I'm hoping for something that focuses less on the act and more on the emotional roller coaster and fight to survive and thrive that comes after. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Uh, I picked Bloodwater Paint by Joy McCullough, which is a, it's actually a YA, historical novel written in verse. So the whole book is a poem and it's about artemisia Gentileschi, and it's told from the first person her point of view artemisia artemisia Gentileschi was a real person uh she was a really famous italian painter and when she was a child well she's famous now when she was a child her mother died and so she was kind of given the choice of like going to live in a convent or being the assistant in her father's studio her father was also a famous painter whose name i can't remember which i think says everything you need (laughs) to know um and so she does that. She becomes an assistant in his studio. Uh, by the time she's like 16 or 17, she's one of, like, well-known as one of the city's most talented painters. Um, and then her father hires another man, hires a man to be an assistant in the studio who rapes Artemisia. And this does happen in the book. It's written, it's in verse, and it's it's a bit coded, so I don't think that it'll be uh, too triggering for you to read. And then the rest of the book is about what she does after that. And what, what Artemisia Gentileschi actually did do was sued. (laughs) She took her rapist to court, which in the 1600s in Italy was unheard of. Women could not testify. Um, you know, and if she was found to have, if the court had ruled that the man was innocent, she, her life would be ruined, you know? Um, and it already was kind of ruined because now everybody knows that she is quote unquote, you know, ruined, um, and unmarried and no longer a virgin and all of these terrible things but she makes the choice that she's not going to just let this thing happen and go you know off into the darkness of her life knowing that like she's probably never going to get married now she can't be a painter anymore and then just dealing with the trauma and the struggle of it instead she decides that she's going to stand up make a fight and not let the man get away with it um, even though it's going to cost her probably everything in her life. Um And you can see, I mean, if you're familiar with her paintings at all, you can, I think, really see her her just like anger in all of her work. They're just amazing paintings. And the book is so good. So that's Bloodwater Paint by Joy McCullough.
1: Yeah, big cosine. So listen, I know you said you wanted fiction. I know. And I looked really, really hard. But I could not come up with anything. I was unclear on what Precisely was going to be triggering for you because of some of the things that worked and some of the things that didn't work. And I didn't want to recommend something that was going to be. So I went with a nonfiction title that I feel pretty confident on. It's We're Going to Need More Wine by Gabrielle Union, which if you haven't read already is really great. Um, you will want to skip the chapter on her assault. She mentions it periodically, but she only gets into details in one chapter and you can kind of tell which one it is pretty easily. So I might recommend skipping that one. But on the whole, this is a really amazing essay collection about, you know, all of the things you would expect about gender and sexuality and race and Hollywood. And, you know, I mean, Gabrielle Union is fascinating, first of all. (laughs) You know, like she was in so many movies uh, in the 90s and continues to have an amazing career. And listening to her talk about how that developed and what were the hard parts and what were the fun parts. And then also what it was like to be famous and trying to recover from an assault that happened when she was a teenager is really It's really intense and it's really amazing how frank she's willing to be about that. I mean, she talks about hiding underneath her bed with her dog sometimes because she just cannot cope. And then how she found help and how she found support and, you know, the work that she did to recover. And that's that was really what struck me about your question, like trying to deal with the emotional roller coaster and the fight to survive and thrive. She's really clear about that. And she has some, you know, unpopular opinions, which because she's a human in the world. Uh, and so it's like I'm not like co-signing everything she says in here. But I think that if you're looking for a portrait of the complexities of recovery and what it looks looks like to be a survivor and how, you know, one step forward, two steps back that can be sometimes, but then you can go on and thrive regardless. Like, that's what this is. This is a really amazing portrait of a survivor who is so smart and so funny and so frank and so accomplished. And I just think it's very worth reading. So again, that's We're Going to Need More Wine by Gabrielle Union.
0: And that's our show.
1: And that's our show.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Please go leave us a rating or a or and and or a review on Apple podcast. It makes the show easier for other people to find. Thank you so much to our sponsors for sponsoring us. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson.
1: And I'm on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's IRL, and Instagram as I am Jen IRL.
0: And we will talk to you in two weeks, not next week, because it's 4th of July.